Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resting Batch Face, the only Top Chef recap podcast that can promise its hosts will never chef-splain because we just don't know enough about cooking to even try. I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Gwen Kirby. Gwen, how are you doing today? It's great. I feel like I haven't seen you in such a long time that it's really, really wonderful to be here with you today, Daniel. I myself am very, very excited to have a chance to discuss this episode with you. I've been waiting since Thursday to talk about it and to quote Maria, I think it's going to be like holding your pee for an hour and then you pee and it's nice. (laughs) Oh my God. Maria. Maria is a gem. I love that. Early in the season, it's very difficult to determine if this is going to be a solo Maria Stan podcast or a Shota Avishar ship podcast, but perhaps they're not mutually exclusive. I was going to say, I'm already doing both in my heart, so let's, let's light it. Just quickly, you know, they start as they always do in the aftermath of the prior episode in which we lost Rodney. I would say more or less at the exact moment that we remember his name. And they have these conversations. I noticed they do this basically every episode where they just lapse into these macro conversations about just how hard it is and just what it's like to be on Top Chef. And you think it's going to be you and you don't know how you feel. And it's like you've been on this show for like a day. Like, I don't really know if you're ready to draw any grand sweeping (laughs) conclusions about it as a larger process. I will also say they had the judges sitting around talking and the way that these former contestants now can talk in sort of safety about what it's like to be on the show. It just made me think of like how uninterested I am in reading every single like fucking MacArthur winner talk about their artistic process. It's like you're no longer in the (laughs) shit. You can no longer speak about it. Yeah, I have to agree. I there's like this like weird Stockholm syndrome that all the judges now have on the outside that they like they both love it, but they watch in horror as they as the new victims are are torn. I mean, these are how hazing rituals reproduce themselves. Is people people wanting to pay the pain that they experienced forward? But the opposite of pain for me, at least, is breakfast, and we start with a delightful quickfire in which they are in the Top Chef Diner and the judges are shouting out short order orders that they then hit a little bell and then they volunteer to cook that, cook that kind of thing. Before we get into this, I have a couple of just kind of quick fiery questions that I, I just want to ask you. Like first is like, what is your favorite kind of quick fire and why? Because to me, they fall into different categories. They fall into the category of here's something that you would normally do only much quicker. Or here's something that you would never, ever do for any reason, and let's make you do it. And I'm curious if you can kind of think about what your favorite quick fires are. I love a quick fire like this because they're producing food a little bit like you said last episode that I can actually imagine eating. Like, so I have a frame of reference for all of these things that they're producing. And I mean, nothing could have tugged on my heartstrings during this pandemic more than recreating a diner experience in any way shape or form i that that warmed my heart i do love a quick fire where they have to use an ingredient that they've clearly never cooked with before because these people have so much expertise that when i don't know you know uh, they're given like a chocolate bar and a jackfruit and then they say like go 
that's that's pretty delightful. But I think I like this better. I think I like recreating food I'm familiar with, but faster. So How about you? What you were just describing, though, I guess my favorite quick fires are ones where there are almost no stakes. The the elimination challenges can have such just a weight to them, and you've got that like that like pounding snare drum, and occasionally just that like I don't know. I'm not going to try to sing sing it. I can't even bring it to mind. But just like everything is so intense, and Colicchio is sneering. I like the low stakes of of the quick fires. I mean, it's making me think of when you talk about right somebody trying to be in an environment, somebody having to cook something they're not used to. So Maria, again, Maria quotes are always gold, but she explains the reason she doesn't ring in when Dale does a dim sum challenge. Is she says, "quote Melissa"? No, this was Maria. Yeah, but Dale didn't do the oh, you're dim right. sum challenge. It was Melissa. Dale, Dale did the what did he do the spam the the kimchi anyway. Um, anyway, so when Melissa, you know, calls short order calls out dim sum and Maria says, what am I going to make a tiny quesadilla? (laughs) But what what that speaks to is, I mean, again, not to, not to be the historian, but season eight, there was a dim sum challenge that was the elimination challenge. And if I recall, it was such a shit show that they didn't eliminate anybody and there were no winners. Or something like that. Like that was, I have never seen Colicchio more just disappointed. Like I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. And him basically being like embarrassed that his show had just failed. I mean, they just like couldn't get food out. And that's the kind of stuff that is just super weighty in an elimination challenge. But in a quick fire, like who gives a shit? Like if you just like fuck up your dim sum, again, the stakes are super low. Um, This was, I will just say for me, one of my favorite quick fires that I can remember and mainly just because I love breakfast. And I would just like to take this mm. moment to say some things I love about breakfast. <laughs> if you will, if you will indulge me. Regale us, Dan. This will shock the 15 of you, given that I'm sure none of you know me. But I'm more of a breakfast than a dinner person. And it's not just because I go to sleep early and I wake up early. To me, like, if you haven't gotten shit done in a day, it is really hard to enjoy going out to a nice dinner. Whereas if you go out to a nice breakfast, there is always the possibility and the promise you lie to yourself about that you will get shut down after that. Second, I just, I love the simplicity and familiarity that for whatever reason I associate more with breakfast food than I associate with, with dinner food. And maybe that's just because there's, I don't know, there's fewer variations on it, but like, and again, I don't know, this will be all that flattering to my wife, but thankfully she doesn't listen to the show because she has better weirder things to listen to. But I, I really think that poached eggs on toast is the first thing that convinced me in the possibility of monogamy in just that every time I would just order it sort of out of habit. But every time that first bite, I was like, this is incredible. And this is warm and delicious. And that idea of a thing that even if you do sort of fall into a habit with it, every time can still be just incredibly delightful suggested to me that, you know, you don't, you, you, don't, you don't need to try different restaurants all the time. And lastly, I will just say, I mean, I could opine on, the, on, the, on this longer, but just it was occurring to me as I was thinking about this, you don't have hot beverages with dinner for the most part. Mm. And there's something about just the tactile sensation of a warm mug while you're eating your breakfast and the way that the coffee itself functions as a kind of hourglass. And it can be renewed, right, if the sort of the conversation merits it. But like the cold coffee tells you that it's coming to an end. If you let the coffee get to that point, 
so those are some of the things that I love about breakfast. And I think then it's, it's so fun to see it on TV. Cause again, if they're just doing like, I don't know if it's a challenge where it's like, you have to do like truffles and foie gras, but you have to do it in a way that in somehow, you know, invokes the Rococo art movement. It's like, I don't really have an access point <laughs> for that. But if you're doing fucking corned beef hash with holidays all day. Mm, it was delightful. I mean, I, I love breakfast. I've shared many a breakfast with you. I'm never tired when the plate comes out and it's my biscuit with the scrambled eggs, the cheese and the bacon inside your hash browns and my cup of coffee. Like that's just, that's perfection. What do you, what more If anybody listening happens to work for the Waffle House and would like to sponsor us, (laughs) we would be very excited for that. Well, let's then jump in to talk about some of these, these quick fire options and maybe just the easiest ways. This will be a little broader. Let's start with which of these seven options, which were steak and eggs, dim sum, shrimp and grits, spam and kimchi fried rice, fancy toast, veggie hash, and corned beef hash, which of those would you be most feel most comfortable trying to cook? Ooh, most comfortable trying to cook. That's not where I thought you were going to go. I think fancy toast. I think that I could make a topping in a pan, right? Like I can make like a, that, I mean, not as well, but I can make that mushroom, creamy mushroom dish that she made and put it on a nice piece of toast. Also, Dan, you know how I feel about toast. Toast is my heart food. I make a lot of toast because uh, I'm a bougie white lady in this pandemic. I've also made a lot of fucking bread in the last year. So I, I think I could make a piece of fancy toast. What about you? So I'm embarrassed to say I would struggle probably to make any of these things. I guess the closest would be I mean, we'd really be putting a lot of strain on the word fancy. So I guess I will just say steak and eggs. That that's probably not something that I, I cook that I cook that often. Which of these, and we can then get into some of these dishes, were you most excited to eat? I will say the thing that I would have thought that I wanted to eat was not what I ended up wanting to eat. So I was very drawn to steak and eggs. I thought um, Gabe's dish looked incredible. The chipotle adobo. Like steak. Oh, with like plantains and there was that like jalapeno pepper on it. And there was the dark molasses. So, I mean, like Gabe's a boss and he's my favorite kind of boss in the kitchen. He's a boss who's committed to making everything Mexican food. So I thought that looked fucking delicious. And my other standout dish that I would love to have tried was Shoda's shrimp dumpling mochi. I don't even know how you make that period, much less make that in 30 minutes. But I, I mean, Shoda, Shoda, I, I think is going to go far, and I would love to just find out what that tastes. Yeah, like. he 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 showed me something. So <laughs> I will say the thing that I would have been most likely to order was Jamie's. A rare moment. Wait, can I guess? Damn it, that's what I was going to guess. I was going to say I was so excited when Jamie won because I was like, Dan is all about shrimp and grits. You had that shrimp and grits that you loved at that place in Northside, right? No. This is how long yes. we've been out of grad school. I can't remember the name either. The fucking shit, that place. We're going to have to edit this out. But I know that obviously that place we went to all the time. This is so bad. We went there, we went there a bunch. Yeah. At any rate, if I had gotten to guess, that's what I would have guessed for you. And I was excited. It looks super that. exciting. I mean, not only is Shrimp and Grits delicious, but it was with Cajun Goshuang or Gochang. I don't know how to pronounce G-O-C-H-U-J-A-N-G, which I was... One thing I had to look up, and it's like a Korean sweet spicy paste. So mm-hmm. Korean shrimp and grits, I'm there for I'm there for all day. 
Also, anytime you win anything on Top Chef with a polenta, that's a boss move. And she did it in 30 minutes. So, uh, here's my big, a couple big questions about the, the quick fire. I mean, we could, we could go through all the dishes, though. I doubt that's going to be our, our strong, our strong suit. Um, who was the most anxious of all of these people? Because there were a lot of contenders. Hard call. Sarah, there was a moment, I can't remember if it was in the quick fire or in the elimination, where Shoda is like, Sarah is so anxious that just being near her makes me anxious. And I thought Nelson and Chris were the most pressed, but I don't think they were anxious. Like they're so they 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 got the final dish and it was um corned beef hash with eggs over medium, hash browns, and holidays, holland hollandaise sauce, which was just obviously impossible. Ooh, I think also good I can, oh i think also dawn dawn has like this way of talking about how she's doing on the show which is just like she didn't get her eggs on the plate and she was just like i failed again like just dawn has this like real dark attitude like she's not she's not like having fun on her quick fire challenge she's just like oh my god coach is gonna make me run sprints for this i wrote up. the same quote i failed again it's uh yeah, she just lapses into like apocalyptic pronouncements pretty quickly. Sarah was an interesting moment. Again, something that comes up a lot in the show where she did a shrimp and grits fritter, which is always an interesting question, right? Like you get points for reinvention and imagination versus just do you do the thing that they asked for in just a really excellent way? Like I'm going to be honest, if I just ordered shrimp and grits and I, they brought me out a fritter, I would look the way Ron Swanson looked when he ordered a whiskey and they rubbed the lotion in his hands. I'd be like, what the fuck is that? But I mean, again, the quick fires are great opportunities for these kinds of, these kinds of big swings and big misses. Yeah. I mean, I'll also add to the nervousness though. It's, it's just, I don't know if nervousness is the right word. It's so cute. And he's so self-aware is Abishar. Yeah. Who again, like he didn't get everything on the plate. I guess the question that I had too, I mean, many different kinds of anxiety here, but did anybody change your mind about them in this quick fire? Not really. I'm looking over my notes. I would say Jamie did for me a little bit because she was such a shit show in the first episode. And it's like, she's playing with such exciting flavors that if she can handle the time constraints, she is going to be a player and seeing her execute for the first time to me, put her, if not towards the top, because I, I question her consistency, perhaps at least a high ceiling, low floor um, candidate. I agree with that. I mean, I think she showed us this episode that if she can channel her sort of creative excitement appropriately, she's going to cook amazing food. Um, it really just will be a question of if she can if she can do that consistently. But I didn't get anxiety from her this episode in the way that I feel like maybe I did last episode. She felt a little bit more settled in. I do just want to call out Padma on some intense hypocrisy. So she's like throwing Richard Blaze under the bus and being like, you gave this impossible <laughs> challenge. I'm just like, have you ever met yourself? Yeah. Like you're the one who's always issuing these impossible challenges and then just being like, did you mean to oversalt this duck that you had to make in four seconds? Like the hypocrisy or thinking about just like the one episode several seasons back where the judges did the shopping for them and they had to cook whatever Padma gave them, or at least those who were on Padma's team that had, quote, Padma's 
shit, I've forgotten the word. What's the word for places you put food? We're so good on this show. <laughs> you mean like pantry? Pantry. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Which is a word I should never forget because one of my favorite restaurants in the world, shout out to breakfast, is the Pancake Pantry in Nashville. But anyway, she's like, yeah, Blaze, that was like a really shitty challenge you gave him. And I was just like, Padma, how dare you? Well, um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about from from the quickfire? Not really. I loved it. I thought people made incredible looking food. I mean, maybe this is a segue into our elimination challenge, but I didn't see anyone this episode make a dish that was just bad. Yeah. Early in the season, it's hit or miss with people who are just like, whoa, like I shouldn't be here. I guess maybe by season 18, they have that kind of figured out a little bit more. Yeah, everything looked really good. I will also say a a shout out to something that had never occurred to me, but feels like maybe is doable would be mushroom toast. I don't know if you've ever had a Mm. mushroom toast, but that, that struck me as something that I might try to fuck around with a little bit. Yeah, I haven't, but it was something that I was like, that looks delicious and also has ingredients and techniques that I might actually have access to, which is a rare combination on this show. Yeah, though we're getting dangerously close to just reproducing my mother's favorite comfort meal, which is just baked beans on toast and saying that that's somehow fancy or refined. So moving on to the elimination challenge, half of them are given coffee, the other half are given beer, and they are each told that they are going to have to make a dish that highlights coffee or beer. They then, bum, 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 are given the twist that instead it's going to be a team challenge and they have to synthesize beer and coffee as well as synthesizing the ingredients that they've each independently selected into a team dish. Gwen, my question for you is like on a scale of 0 to 10, where like 0, the twist is just like you have to make a little bit more than we already said. And 10 is... The twist is you have to do it whilst being naked and afraid. Like how dirty a twist is this? I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, I thought maybe like a four, three or a four. I mean, they still had plenty of time. I don't know. It was, it was tough. I think it's tough this early in the season because they don't know each other that well. And so their sense of like who might be a good partner for them is not all that well developed, but I didn't think it was that bad. And I think that that was reflected in the dishes they produced, which all seemed like good, cohesive dishes for the most part. It did me did make me think, though, about a central tension of Top Chef, which goes back to what we talked about last week, of just what is the effect of it being a competition? So, like, the best twists are ones that produce art through adversity, right? Where the constraint is one that forces the artist to make choices they wouldn't otherwise. And at worst... These twists are just like the cooking equivalent of like dumb shit Aleppo poetry or whatever, where it's just like, you can't use the letter E. And it's like, okay, cool. That seems like really integral to explaining the human experience. I guess coffee and beer pair pretty well together. In fact, I feel like an idiot now. I actually have some coffee stout in my fridge that I should have been drinking during this episode, though I suppose it's one less bit of audio you'll need to edit out is me fiddling, (laughs) fiddling with the pull tab. Yeah, this seemed like pretty in the middle and again is something that happens often early in these show these seasons is that they put people who don't really know each other together and just kind of see what kind of pairings come out. Well, this is a good way to pivot. So I'm going to just recap for the reader and by reader, I mean listener, the, <laughs> the pairs. And then I'm going to ask you when the pairs were announced, who were you most excited for and who were you most worried about? So again, for the listeners, we had 
Shoda and Abishar. And this is where we're we're just making a lot of gestures of love and happiness. <laughs> Brittany and Sasha. Gabriel and Dawn. And remember, Dawn is the sprinter, and Gabriel is the kind of person whom one would sprint away from. <laughs> Jamie and Kiki. Chris and Byron. Sarah and Gabe. And Nelson and Maria. So who were you most excited for and who were you most worried about? Well, it comes as 0% surprise that I was the most excited for Avishar and Shoda. They have this really incredibly cute little bit where they're doing their their talking heads with, you know, each of the two pairs together where they have to say, like, if they're happy to be together or whatever. And Avishar says, you know, oh, like, I'm looking around and, like, no one wants to be with me. And I look to the right and I look to the left. And then I look down and I see Shoda. And Shoda just starts, like, like they just are cracking up and losing it together. And it is, it's really cute. I love, not to, like, leap ahead, but but when they win, they're having their little talking head. And Shoda says, it's the Asian sensation. Watch out, ladies. Which I thought was so cute. They are very cute. This is a reference nobody is going to get, and yet here we are. It reminded me of about four or five years ago when Hyungman's son came to Tottenham, and basically his only friend was Kevin Vimmer, who is this like giant Austrian dude, and they would just do these videos of just the two of them being sweet together, and they were like besties. Uh, so yeah, this is this is a a love story that we are fully going to embrace. It did make me think of something else as well, which is just like. An interesting idea, they will never do this, but if they had a season with teams, mm. like built in, like it's not just Top Chef, it's like Top Chef partnership. Because, I mean, this was an episode in which Avishar was able to shine. He yeah. did something called carbonating grapes, grapes. <laughs> which is like, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, no. But I think that he probably felt a comfort level to fuck around with something knowing that Shota was there to keep him from falling apart and able to keep this thing on the road. And just like how some of these people I think would just incredibly excel in a slightly secondary role paired with somebody strong. But I mean, again, Avishar next week is probably going to be San Shota. And is he going to be back to the same apple chutney fuck up that he was last week? And will he just sort of disappear and we'll just be left to wonder what beautiful things he could have done if he could have held Shota's hand through the whole season? I mean, I, I agree. I loved them together. And you could just see that Avishar was, he was like doing that food science shit that's like fun and, and creates like these really cool little moments on the plate. But Shota was in charge of sort of the... The lobster sunimono. Which I looked which... up literally means vinegared thing and refers to a Japanese cucumber salad, which is dressed with a sweet vinegar dressing. That sounds so light and refreshing. That's delicious. Well, next on my list, the opposite of light and refreshing. Some A, a team that I will admit I was mildly worried about and it, it proved out was Brittany and Sasha, mainly because they had the look of two people who picked each other because they would hang out in real life. And not because their food in any way would marry. They had a very new best friends at camp vibe, which was <laughs> adorable. And I loved them together, but they were not uniting because they had like complementary ingredients or they had some new dish they really wanted to make. They just like wanted to make friendship bracelets together. 
they ended up producing a beer marinated pork loin with beets and coffee romesco, which some one of the judges, I think Kwame said, lacks point of view. And Gail said, this is my favorite thing about the show, is moments when the judge says something that is just literally true, as if it is this absolutely just terrible burn. She says, it felt like two people making a dish. <laughs> Like, yes, that was the challenge. That was literally what you asked and required of them to do. And she was, quote, befuddled. Befuddled. I love anytime anyone uses the word befuddled, I'm happy. I mean, that's just a great word, full stop. Again, when we talked about the pleasures of this show last week, and one of them that I mentioned was just proportion and disproportion, like the idea that one could be, quote, befuddled about a Romesco. <laughs> Is to me just like a beautiful kind of like mad libs going on. Big shout out to my husband, Andrew Knoll, who makes a delicious romesco. But does he make it with coffee? No, that's probably why it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I will pivot to a pair who did well, but I thought wasn't going to do well. And that's Don and Gabriel. Uh, they ended up together, I think, because no one wanted to work with either of them. <laughs> But I could tell Gabriel for obvious reasons. And I think Don in some ways for equally obvious reasons, not that Don is the asshole of the season, but there's a negative intensity to Don that I, I would be worried about working with. They had one of my favorite moments though, where um, Gabriel strikes me as someone who enjoys mansplaining. And Dawn is making these ribs that she's obviously made like a million times before and she's going to crush it and she's doing her thing. And then Gabriel says, no pepper, please. Pepper is really powerful. Who the fuck are you? My Midwestern grandmother? Like pepper? Are you fucking serious? And the look on Dawn's face as she just ignored him and did whatever the fuck she wanted was, was why I think she was actually a good teammate for Gabriel. And if Nana Kirby is listening somewhere... We apologize for the shots fired. Do, do you agree with Don's claim? I mean, was that, quote, chef-splaining? Yeah. I mean, like, she knows how to make a damn rib. Like, if, if he was like, no, don't rub it in fish guts, I'm not sure that would be a good idea. Like, okay, fair, but, like, pepper? I don't think she's going to over-pepper her ribs. Like, just stick to your stupid compressed watermelon, you giant weirdo. Two things. One, they loved the giant, the know, compressed, the compressed watermelon. Two, I mean, it's an interesting game theory thing. I think he was wrong to do it for a variety of reasons because one of two things is true. Either she knows how to make ribs, in which case, step the fuck off, or she doesn't know how to make ribs, and even if you're on the bottom, she is the one who will get sent home. So I think it's one of these situations where he can't help himself. Oh yeah. I was actually really irritated at first that he sacrificed his ingredients. I was like, I'm really invested in Gabriel being the villain. <laughs> and so I was deeply satisfied when Peppergate brought back the Gabriel that we thought he was going to be. But I mean, it sounds delicious. Coffee and beer braised ribs. Oh, it looks and then so good. And like little compressed sweet watermelon. compressed watermelon. I love, I love when the judges have the moments of like, clearly their life is very different than mine. Because they were sitting up there, and I can't remember which judge it was, maybe, I don't remember. And they say, you know, wow, we've all had ribs and watermelon a million times. <laughs> so I was like, well, okay, I haven't. I've never had that in a restaurant in my life. But this sounds fucking delicious. One that I'm going to shout out here, I both love this as a power couple, and I think this is what I would have ordered. 
was, even though they ended up just being safe and neither in the top or the bottom, was Nelson and Maria's, which again, this quote is so good, I will say it for a second time. Maria talking about how it felt to be able to speak Spanish with Nelson, that it's like holding your pee for an hour and then you <laughs> pee and it's nice. But they made Chile Rileno. Rellenos. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. They made, let me try this again. They made Chiles Rellano. Oh, God. <laughs> but they stuffed it They stuffed it with lobster. Like that moment oh, my Lord. where he was planning to make, I think like lobster thermidor or some yeah. shit. And she was planning to make the aforementioned Mexican dish. And then they're like, well, what do we do? Well, why don't we just stuff the lobster inside the chili? I, I would order that all day, every day. I mean, even though, to be honest, I mean, we can, you know, they, they weren't really, they were just riding the middle and Sarah and Gabe ended up at the top. That ended up, if I were looking at dishes, I would have ordered Sarah and Gabe's, which just looked so pretty. And as I think Dale said, or Kwame said, they had time to like tie a bow out of one of the ingredients, which means that you're pretty much flexing on everybody. But if I were just looking at menu descriptions, I would order lobster stuffed inside the pepper every time. Oh my Lord. I mean, when they came together and she was like, yeah, I was going to make chili rellenos. And he was just like, oh yeah, let's just fill up that chili relleno with lobster. I was like, I just, I had to fan myself. There was a moment on season 10, I think about this very often, I'm sure I can't remember the two people who did it, but where they, they had like a um, stadium concessions challenge at the, um, the roller derby and somebody made this like crab stuffed jalapeno popper, which is like fresh Seattle crab. And I was just like, yes, mm. please, all day, all day, every day. I will say Sarah and Gabe is another example, I think, of the way in which a partnership would be really beneficial. Because he is so chill. Mm -hmm. I think that he just like really effectively absorbed her anxiety and like was able to channel it into just her doing her best. And Gail said, this is like the weirdest thing, I, the weirdest compliment I think I have ever heard anybody be given. You have a thing with yogurt. I know. That was so funny. <laughs> it's like two episodes in a row. She's done something delightful. I mean, that, with yogurt. that pair had everything I want. I like Sarah a lot. I love Gabe. I love the idea of making a tortilla with stout and porter. That was like they like, and he managed to like roll every individual tortilla, as you said, and like put a little bow around it, which was just uh, phenomenal. I mean, it, it sounded like a delicious dish. Smoked yogurt with hazelnut salsa matcha. I have a friend who recently bragged about how she's getting a tortilla press soon. So I wonder if she's I wonder if she's going to try to get stout going in her homemade tortillas. I legit was like taking notes of this in like a separate post-it note because I was like, if you think I'm not about to try to make beer tortillas, you are hundred percent wrong. So let's see who we haven't talked about. I mean, again, so we end up at the top is Shoda and Abishar. We have Gabriel and Dawn defying all of our expectations. A good reminder that, like, sometimes interpersonal shit doesn't matter if mm. you're just really good. I mean, early on, I'm going to say Gabriel and Don are the Shaq and Kobe of this Top Chef season. Like, it doesn't matter if you get along if you're both really good. And then Sarah and Gabe, who also did very, very well. On the bottom, Brittany and Sasha, we already mentioned. It felt like two people making a dish. God forbid. And then we also, on the bottom, had Chris and Brian, or Byron, with Duck with beer marinated mushrooms and the coffee pasta, which wasn't cooked enough and had too much dry flour. I thought coffee pasta was gonna was gonna send 
was going to send, not them home. I'm trying to, who made the, which one Chris of the, made it. Chris made Chris it. made the pasta. I thought that was going to be kiss of death. Chris serving dry, brittle pasta to Tom Colicchio is a, is a real big risk. And I guess maybe I'm not good at imagining things. A coffee pasta doesn't sound particularly tasty. But my, my favorite part of that judging was that the judges being like really upset that the foam was more of a puree and that if only they had just called it a puree, then, you know, the, the judges wouldn't be having this existential sadness at the way the foam wasn't, wasn't foaming. I mean, again, though, it's, it's, they created the conditions of the challenge and they're like, this thing is delicious, but it's not exactly what you said it was. It's like, I mean, you can judge it however the fuck you want. Like you're in charge. <laughs> But no, I will say coffee pasta sounds very good to me in the sense that it's, I mean, all of this is just about, right, pairing bitter and sweet. So it would just be like a sweeter cheese, right? So like a coffee pasta with like a sweeter ricotta or something, I imagine, would create that that nice kind of balance. But if you don't, but as with all of it, right, I mean, the people who went wrong, it's what Colicchio said. What a fucking hypocrite, because he's such a whiny bitch about dessert. Like, he basically wants his desserts with no sugar in them. It's like, I love a savory dessert. It's like... That's not a dessert. Okay. Yeah, it's just a piece of fucking cheese. Anyway, whatever. Like some of us, whatever. But anyway, he's like, I really like the, the ones who, you know, brought the sweet in to, to fight against to fight against the bitter. It's like, well, yeah, you know, some of us enjoy a like liney summer shandy. Some of us like to pair <laughs> the sweet with the bitter. And some of us are just like, let me get a fucking Commander Fussbottom IPA and feel like a, a, a queen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's when, when you have amazing taste, you have to celebrate that. And if your friend wants to order like a little sunshiny bullshit beer, then you have to respect that. Um, also, this will shock you that I have some fussy opinion, but while I love to drink coffee, I really don't like coffee and food for the most part. Like I don't like coffee, ice cream. Do you not like tiramisu? I love tiramisu. I don't know. That's espresso. <laughs> No, I don't know. I, I there. <laughs> I just I'm fussy about it. There's only very particular ways in which I like it. Yeah, I mean, all of this stuff looked so good. Looked very, 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 very good. Um, as it's as is its job. So I guess we should we should pour one out for Sasha. I mean, I, I shouldn't even say that. I mean, like that's unintentionally too real. I mean, we get that, that riff from Sasha about like becoming an alcoholic during pandemic, which is just like heartbreaking and all too real. Mm -hmm. And I will say my, my, I was worried about her from that moment. Like I, my always perception is like when we get the deep dive on the person, it's because they want to put that on air before we lose that person. I was worried about that too. The more they highlight you in the episode, the more you're either going to win or lose. Yeah. And we saw a decent amount of Shoda and Abishar. Shoda also currently not drinking because of sort of pandemic pandemic stuff, and and certainly on a, a you know a somber note for this podcast. But the the restaurant industry is rife with substance abuse issues because of the lifestyle that you end up having to yeah. and the hours you have to work. Um, but no, I was super worried about her from from the moment we started getting Sasha background pieces because I didn't think her and Brittany were going to be in the top. Yeah, I mean, it's too early to really to say that I have strong things to say about her food in part because, I mean, it wasn't as clearly articulated as some of these these, these other people coming coming in. But I certainly liked her and I I wish, I wish her well. I mean, it's a weird thing about 
Top Chef, and it seems increasingly increasingly true. I mean, there's this moment between Brittany and Sasha where they're like talking about helping each other, and like you know, one of them says clearly as a joke, like you know, like it's every person for themselves. Like there really is a spirit of friendship that seems very clear that it does transcend the show. I mean, if you follow these people on Instagram, you see the kind of connections and. I can't even honestly remember the the last time there was a legit rival. Like, it's been maybe, like, the last asshole that I really remember was that dude John on season 10. And then I guess he came back for one of the kind of all-star seasons, and he was just a dick. But, like, they all really seem to get along really well. And I think part of that, I think, is, like, if you think about the early seasons, again, not to be the historian, but season one, there was a screaming fight between... I want to say the guy's name was Dale, and then I believe her name was Tiffany, who um, now has, like, a very famous barbecue restaurant in Boston. And he, like, famously yells, like, I'm not your bitch, bitch. And then season two, like, all the shenanigans with Marcel and how, Mm. like, they were going to, like, shave his head in the middle of the night. And it's like, the show has come so far from that that it's, like, it's all about the food. They all seem like really good people. Like, it manages to be a competition without it feeling shitty. And I think that's like something kind of special and um, I think worthy of like one of the reasons why it's I, I like the show so much and something worthy of praise for the producers as the show has developed over now 18 seasons. Like I think it would have flamed out if it was just people fucking screaming at each other in the kitchen all the time. Like every once in a while you get one idiot, but for the most part, they all seem just like really kind and it's a nice thing about the show. This group seems wonderful. I mean, I loved I loved the little interstitial between the quick fire and the elimination where they were all just hanging out, hanging out back at their house. And Sarah takes down her lucky fish and cuddles it. And they just all seem like friends. I, I guess as someone who has been profoundly missing seeing my friends in person, it kind of just, it, it warmed my heart. And, and it makes sense to me. I mean, as someone who runs a writer's conference... When you bring these people together who are in legitimately a small community, like these are connections that are going to benefit these people throughout their careers. It would be stupid to make enemies in this situation. Obviously, being stupid is something people do with some frequency. We did just recap Temptation Island for an hour. But these are people who are part of an industry and they're very clearly, I think, united by that in ways that are... I don't know, that are delightful. I want to be friends with all these people, especially if they agree to make me their food. Yeah, I thought you were going to complete the sentence. As someone who is overly emotionally dependent on various large stuffed animals, (laughs) I was deeply, (laughs) deeply sympathetic to the need to, the need to get that fish down. Facts are facts. I respect that. If I had my stuffed dragon there, I would feel better. So (laughs) props to Sarah. So there is this one dumb Colicchio joke. So a couple things I just want to draw out as we're in the point where they're deciding who they're going to get rid of. The first is, for some reason, this is like one of the tropes of this show that bothers me the most. So when the people who were like on the top and the bottom return back to the stew room and somebody identifies that they were on the bottom, the the reaction from the assemblage is always, what? No. And it's like, <laughs> A, you didn't eat the food. And B, is what you're saying then you think that one of the people who was on the top like shouldn't have been on the top. Like I understand you're trying to be supportive, but like it makes no sense to me. And for some reason it always sticks out to me. It's always funny. They, cause they're, it's so performative. Like you can't just be like, well, that figures. 
Yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, you, gotta try to, you gotta try to kind of like massage the situation a little bit. I also really enjoy, or not really enjoy, I'm also always kind of bothered by the people who are in the middle who complain about it. Yeah. Like Maria was like, oh, I'm in the middle again. I guess that means I'm just kind of skating by. I'm like, dude, it's only the second episode and everyone here is an amazing cook. Like, just take it. Yeah, stop being so whiny. I mean, this is Project Runway, but I don't know if you remember Sandro, who famously screamed, voice make down, and then stormed off and threw something at a camera. But anyway, he he first came to prominence in that season by throwing a fuss fit that he was just in the middle and basically like insisting on getting some feedback. And A, it's like, I think it's this deeply needy thing of like wanting people to like respond to you and like tell you that you're wonderful and your food is amazing. And then I think I remember like Heidi was like, it's okay, you're in the middle and like you'll hear from us when you hear from us. And Posen was like, it's pretty tacky. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, it's, it's a fact. It's as as my favorite Bachelor, Bachelorette recappers always, always hate when the person who gets the last rose is like, oh God, I can't believe you made me wait right in front of like the 10 chicks who are going home, right? Like it's just, it's this kind of bitch move, like take your rose and shut the fuck up. So the other thing I want to mention about the, the judging process, there's this offhand remark by Colicchio that has been working through my mind for the last three days. So he says to Kwame Blaze, you know, all of the former contestants, no, I guess specifically he says to Amar and Dale, cause they are actually judges this week. He says, quote, you're going to see how much we actually sweat this. Which way do you think he meant it? Like, do you think he meant like, you're going to see that we take this exceptionally seriously? Or do you think he meant it as like, you're going to see that we don't really give a fuck. I think he meant the former. I would hope. (laughs) I would hope. Yeah. I feel like if he meant the latter, they might not have aired that. I suppose. Anyway, as he says, I have issues with both parts of a very divided dish, which does feel like something you would say about like a 19th century country on the brink of dissolution facts but here we are do we have anything else you want to just say about about sasha before we get into um last chance kitchen not really i like sasha uh, her elimination dish was on the bottom both weeks so i think it i'm not too surprised to see her go but i i'm wishing her the best in last last chance kitchen and you know spoiler alert she won the first episode of last chance kitchen congratulations sasha This might sound like damning her with faint praise, but I will say there is something to be said if you you were on the bottom two weeks in a row without having just a giant clusterfuck. Mm. I mean, again, we didn't taste the food, but as early season Top Chef fuck-ups go, you know, I I think she can just say she was beaten by some better chefs without, without really feeling like, you know, she forgot to plate the food or something. I think in a lot of other seasons, she would still be here. It's just that no one has kind of made those basic fuck-ups. And so perfectly good food yeah. is going home. It's just not fucking sparkle grapes with, I don't like, I don't even, whatever, I'm sure it did, but like, it's still good. Carbonated grapes. Yeah, there I mean, we go. Early, I mean, just again, not that everything has to be a project runway, but it seems that it does. But like early in a project runway season, it'll be hilarious because like, There'll be people will be espousing this complicated game theory. Like, I really need to show them who I am. And like, I really need to like beat this one person. It's like the people who lose in the first like four weeks of Project Runway lose because they just didn't cover their model's ass. Yeah, they're the ones who end up having to like 
staple a diaper over their model because they like didn't finish sewing the fucking thing. Like and they failed know. to conceal the poom poom. <laughs> the poom poom. <laughs> that takes me back. <sighs> we were young once. So getting to Last Chance Kitchen. So again, we have Rodney from last week meeting now Sasha in the first week of Last Chance Kitchen. And I have to say, I mean, these talking heads, I think are at their dumbest in Last Chance Kitchen. Because Sasha begins by talking about her motivation for winning in Last Chance Kitchen. It's like, do they ask people on fucking Jeopardy, like, what's your motivation to want to win? It's like, I want the fucking money. Like, it just made me think of two things. It made me think of job interviews. Like, you're trying to get a job at the fucking Jimmy John's. It's like, why do you want to work here? And it's like, because I can't get a job anywhere else. What the fuck do you want me to say? (laughs) And more sort of famously, so former NBA player Tyrus Thomas, very athletic leaper was at the time playing for the Chicago Bulls and was selected to be a participant in the slam dunk contest. And for some kind of puff piece interview, somebody just asked him, what does it mean to you to be in the slam dunk contest? And it's like, I mean, the answer is not very much, but like all you just, what do you say? You say like, you know, it's an honor to represent my team or it's an, you know, I'm just going to try to have a good time for the fans or Anytime you can be in the same sentence as Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, whatever. What Tyrus Thomas said, unfortunately, honestly, was, bro, I'm just here for the free money. Because I guess he got paid an extra 25 grand for it. And <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and I feel like, I mean, again, I don't know that Sasha's just there for the free money. Like, I believe that, like, she derives some spiritual meaning um, from, like, doing well on this show. But, like, why, what is her motivation for being in Last Chance Kitchen? Like, she wants to be fucking top chef and win a hundred grand and all that shit. Yeah, it's not it, it's it's not rocket science. I, I really enjoyed the brief clip they showed of Rodney asking how her elimination challenge went. And and she was like, Well, I'm here, so it went pretty fucking bad. <laughs> it's like it's like that kind of yeah. like stupid question. We're like, what are yeah. you gonna say? Like, oh well, we played a good game, but Yeah. All, all aside, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the elimination challenge? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this this last chance kitchen challenge, so it is labeled as thick skin because they have to combine a protein with a thick skin, nuts that have hard shells, and some kind of fruit that has a thick skin. I named it informally the like allergen cocktail challenge because <laughs> I just feel like there's no – I mean, again, like think about the things they're combining. Oysters, peanuts – and like random fruit, like this is a really good way to get somebody anaphylactic. Yeah, facts. It was, I mean, this was the kind of challenge that we were sort of talking about earlier for the quick fire. Like, do you want to see people cook up a breakfast really quickly? Or do you want to see people put together ingredients that just should not go together? And this was, this was the latter. And it seemed like Kalikio really liked her dish. Yeah. I also just think Colicchio is less of a dick on Last Chance Kitchen. Oh, yeah. He because, seems way chiller. Because, A, he doesn't care. Yeah. I mean, like, he's just getting bonus checks from Hidden Valley Ranch. The <laughs> thing takes – the whole thing takes, like, half an hour. But also just for drama purposes, like, they have to be – he has to be able to talk about them as if they are roughly equivalent because there's only two humans. And there's no benefit to just being like, you both suck. I guess you suck a little less. Especially because he always wants to end with, well, you've got some momentum going now. Are you going to go on run in Last Chance Kitchen? It's like, um, I don't know. There's like 15 more motherfuckers I have to beat, so probably, <laughs> probably, probably not. not. Just really quickly, they end up with um, – Sasha ends up with oyster, pistachio, and something called chermoa, which I have never heard of. Me either. Had you ever heard of this fruit? Nope. 
cool. And <laughs> Rodney ends up with clams, peanuts, and jackfruit, which again, literally jackfruit, when I think about it, tastes like bubblegum. And like peanuts and bubblegum just always makes me think of that moment in The Simpsons where Lisa's like, I'm young, no one listens to me. And Grandpa's like, I'm old, no one listens to me. And Homer walks in and says, I'm a white male, age 18 to 45. Everybody listens to me. And he reaches into the cabinet and he pulls out something that says nuts and gum together at last. <laughs> so that is what I was imagining primarily Rodney Rodney was was making. Though he made something called a peanut volute. Do you either know what a volute is or did you look it up? I did not look it up because I did not know how to spell it. This is the kind of high level. <laughs> Although now I've looked it up. And it says, a rich white sauce made with chicken, veal, pork, or fish stock, thickened with cream and egg yolks. I will say, Sasha's sounded better and just it sounded so much lighter. She did a chermoa and apple puree with a chicken fried oyster, which just sounded like really kind of like bright and fresh. And his sounded like a peanut stew with clams and mushrooms, which sounded a little bit heavy, um, especially because I had already been fantasizing about eating seven meals in the elimination challenge. So we lose Rodney. Do we have anything to say about Rodney? Farewell, Rodney. We hardly knew you. I'd still eat the shit out of your barbecue. It seems like you never really made any of the food that's actually the food you like to make, and now you're gone. I feel bad for him in this following way. He is going to have to sit on those stools. Forever. For like the next, I mean, I don't know what the production schedule looks like. I don't know how long it takes them to make a season. But he's just going to have to come in like once a day or maybe I don't know how long they do it. But he's just going to have to go in there and sit on the stools and say things like, Mama, what you cooking? And just (laughs) yell out uncontextually, 10 minutes. It's like, it sucks. I would would hate to be the first last chance kitchen loser more than like anything on this show. That would really suck. I do think, I'm pretty sure that they record like eight last chance kitchens at once. Like Are they wearing the same shirts though? But I guess they could tell them to change a shirt between yeah. episodes. I th- I think okay. they just. I mean, why on earth? You think the magic of television has has solved that particular problem? Yeah, I think they could probably handle that one. Um, yeah, they, I mean, they're not going to like rent that separate space and have it all set up for a kitchen just to like shoot one measly eleven minute thing. They're they're going to do those back to back for the production schedule. You're giving me some interesting things to think about here. Maybe we'll get a. Uh, <laughs> We'll see if we can get as a guest somebody who has worked in television to ask them these really basic questions so they can just be like, how stupid are you? And we can be like, really, very. really stupid. Yeah. Well, that's always a good place to wrap it. Um, <laughs> thank you all for, thank you all for listening. If we've got some, some newer top chef listeners, uh, feel free to check out our back catalog of temptation Island recaps. If you're interested in hearing about a much dumber show, as always, we would love to hear from you at, resting batch face all one word at gmail with batch spelled b-a-c-h or batch underscore face at twitter and we look longingly sort of painfully forward to being able to reference a reader comment or question on a future podcast please please write us your question will certainly be aired 100 percent. and i feel like actual podcasts say please rate and review so in pretending to be a real podcast, I feel like we should say the same. Or, you know, if you're like, they're not very good yet, maybe don't rate and review. Maybe just, you know, wait until we, we mature like a fine wine and then rate and review. Yeah. But if or you like, want to give just, us five stars now, feel free. Or just lie about it. Yeah, we're fine with that too. Well, as always, thanks for listening and we will catch you next week.
Thanks, everyone. <laughs>